Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello again and welcome. Thanks for joining me. Today we have another beautiful chakra chat. Today I'm talking to Neil McKinley, who is a meditation teacher and mentor. Um, and all around lovely guy, really, really interesting. Um, he's been through quite a lot in his life. And um, yeah, I think there's a lot of really good tips and insights in this conversation. Um, I really enjoyed it and I hope you will too. So get stuck in. Here we go. So welcome to another episode of the Chakraway Meditation Podcast and today I have Neil McKinley um, who is a resident of Canada, Vancouver Island to be precise. And uh, Neil, welcome first of all. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks, Roseanne. I really appreciate this opportunity. Yeah, good. So you are a meditation teacher, am I correct? Yeah, I'm a meditation teacher. I'm a meditation mentor. Mentor. Okay, beautiful. So, you know, we have a lot in common. I'm primarily a yoga teacher. Um, and I do meditation on the side, if you like. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm really interested to talk to you about your perspective on meditation, on your journey towards becoming a teacher and a mentor of meditation, what it's done for you in your life. And yeah, just talk about any, because what I try to do when I'm doing these chakra chats is to just give my listeners just uh, another little avenue to go down another little way of exploring meditation because I feel like there's something out there for everybody yeah and not everything is going to ring everybody's bells and so eventually I will talk to somebody who is going to you know ring your bell your listener dear listener (laughs) Um, (laughs) so maybe today's the day that Neil's going to inspire you to a, a, a new perspective or a new different way of meditation so so Neil, just tell me a little bit about your journey towards where you are, where you are today. What brought you to meditation? Well, uh, what brought me to meditation was uh, I was a competitive swimmer when I was uh, uh, in my youth, and I was a competitive swimmer at a really interesting point in time in that sport, where um i guess what we would now call sports psychology was becoming a little bit more of a thing and so people meaning the coaches i was working with were trying a bunch of different things we did uh, that previously would not have been in the realm of you know sporting experience we were doing visualization we were doing progressive relaxation we were doing goal settings and affirmations 
And in amidst this suite of things that were being tried, uh, meditation was introduced. So swim coach taught me how to meditate when I was a teenager and a, a competitive swimmer. And, you know, just there was something that uh, drew me to the practice. Like there was something compelling. Uh, I mean, there was a, oh my gosh, this was so cool moment for me. And part of it was the fact that I, you know, I like music. I knew the Beatles meditated and it was like, oh, this is great. I'm kind of like the Beatles. <laughs> but um, uh, there was something deeper that that called me. And so I just started practicing. I didn't really know much about what I was doing. I really didn't. Um, I don't think in the first number of years, meditation meant anything to me other than closing my eyes. Um, but I felt compelled in the direction of the practice. And so I started practicing, I started reading. Um, and at a certain point, I started to um, formalize that training. And that formalization is, you know, really what has brought me been a long road to bring me to today yeah because you're so lucky to have that kind of mentorship yourself to have those coaches because not everybody has that kind of sports coach and I know it's probably a bit more commonplace these days you know certainly visualization you know everybody knows that if you're like for example like divers you know there's high divers they you know half the work is done visualizing those incredible twists and turns that they do midair. Um, but you are, so that's sort of become more known now, but you were lucky. And to start yeah. that off in your teenage years, that's quite, um, it's quite unique. And well, not unique, but it's, it's unusual, let's say. So it was certainly unusual at the time, as you say. I mean, it's really interesting whenever I recount this story to hear words like goal setting and visualization and relaxation come out of my mind mouth as something unusual and unique because now as you said they're so commonplace but at that time it was really um a new frontier we were exploring together and um yeah what great fortune that meditation was included in that for me yeah 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 you're super lucky and so presumably you know you've been doing I mean have you have you had a career other than being a meditation teacher? Well, um, between being a competitive swimmer, in the, the interim between being a competitive swimmer and being a meditation uh, teacher, I was actually a, a competitive swim coach. So I ah, so made the leap. Life. You are the fish, right? Okay. Swimming was a <laughs> huge part of my life for a very, very long time. I think the first 35 years, well, uh, up until age 40, uh, swimming was a central wow. part of my life. Okay. Okay. Dedicated. Beautiful. Yeah. That must have taught you a lot as well. I mean, I, I don't know. I personally find that swimming is quite a meditation for myself. You know, I always, when I swim, I always do my affirmations, you know, and I'm, I'm a real mum swimmer, you know, chin high. <laughs> but, but as I'm taking my elegant breaststrokes, I, um, I repeat an affirmation, you know, I am enough with each stretch. I am enough. I am grounded. I'm, you know, whatever it is I need on that day. Um, so I, I, I find it quite a, an interesting um, way of meditating when I'm swimming. I'm just putting that out there since you're a swimmer and this is something new I didn't know about you. So it's, that's fun to know. Well, I think, I think uh, uh, the part of the draw or, or part of the link, let's call it a link, part of the link between my life as a swimmer and my life as a meditator is, is, can be found exactly in that. That swimmer, swimming, like so many other uh, activities, does have a meditative element. I mean, I've thought about this a long time. I, I no longer consider it, consider it meditation per se, but it definitely has a meditative element to it. And so there's a real easy bridge there from one activity to the other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So your um, your journey has taken you, I'm sure, on lots of different ways. And you talk about if you that you've had a spiritual mentor that wasn't quite so healthy. What yeah. stage in your life, uh, in your meditation journey, or in your life, did that 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 happen? And what impact did that have on you? Those are a lot of big questions. Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> sorry 
So in terms of, you know, what, what happened? So I talked about being um, introduced to meditation when I was a teenager. I sort of floated around or, or uh, uh, flopped around with meditation for a number of years um, after that. And then I did at a certain point, about 30 years ago, start to formalize this. And I practiced and studied in a couple of successive um, communities. Both were rooted in Tibetan Buddhism. Both offered opportunities to engage formal curriculum and to do long retreats. And around about 2016, so this is relatively recent, around about 2016, my relationship with the second of these communities started to feel a little bit uneasy. I started to feel uncomfortable about how the leader was treating um, specifically his um, closest students, his longest standing students. And by 2018, um, this discomfort had uh, really hit something of a fever pitch. You know, it, be, it became it became apparent to me that in spite of what I believed, in spite of what I feel I'd been told, in spite of what I myself as a leader in that community had told other people, that what was driving that situation, it wasn't the teachings of meditation and it wasn't the practice of meditation. It wasn't the well-being and development of the senior students, but the uh, impulses of the leader and the extent that um, he was willing to go to assert these created an environment that was characterized, in my opinion, by a lot of manipulation, a lot of uh, disempowerment, and a lot of disrespect. And through all of 2019, I struggled with this. I struggled with the rub between what I thought I'd been involved in and what it was becoming clear the situation actually was. I struggled with the depression and anxiety that comes from having one's own inner intelligence continually dis uh, distorted and undermined, mm -hmm. um, which is what manipulation, disempowerment, and disrespect will do. And I struggled, and at a certain point, I became uh, so mentally and physically compromised. Um, the physical distress I was experiencing was extreme. The mental dis distress I was experiencing was extreme. And I just had to leave. It was a survival move. I had to leave. And so in early 2020, February of 2020, I ended a 20-year relationship. I stepped out of that situation. Just in time before lockdowns happened. Well, it's it's interesting, you know. People um, make that uh, that linkage a lot, and um, it's interesting to reflect back on that time. And of course, I noticed we were going into lockdown. I was aware of this, but looking back two years later, I realized that I wasn't as fully aware of lockdown as I might have been because I had this other thing going on as well. Mm, yeah. Yeah. which was just so distressing and so all-consuming. It's a very sad um it's a very sad thing when what is touted as a wonderful supportive spiritual community that's trying to benefit its members and teach, you know, wonderful things has find out that it has an ulterior motive and unfortunately it's it's not the first and it probably won't be the last and no. there's always you know, I mean, even in the yoga world, there's plenty, you know, it, you've scratched the surface of the big names of yoga in the last, you know, 150 years, and you'll find some pretty dysfunctional stuff there. But yeah. the fact remains that the practice still stays valid, you know, whether the leader mm -hmm. was a bit of a dodgy so-and-so or not. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know whilst we you know it, it, and I think that just shows that it's very important to follow your own path to follow your own um follow your own nose you know follow what what is true for you in your heart and and if anything's going to show you what is that truth it's meditation am I right <laughs> 
I, I would actually, um, as a teacher of meditation, it's interesting that I've come to this place. I think there's lots of different modalities that actually do um, offer us uh, access to that knowing that you're describing. I do think in, in my own experience, let's just stick to my own experience. I do think meditation is a really potent tool in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's certainly been one of the things that's drawn me to it is uh, the practice's capacity to attune us to that uh, our own nose, you said, as in follow our own nose. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that is one of the things I really value about the practice that I think is is really, that it really has to offer the world right now. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. So in doing my research about you, I found two kind of labels that you give your practice, which I want to talk about and discover a little bit more about. So the first one is somatic meditation. Mm-hmm. Would you tell me what somatic meditation is? And um, somatic meditation, we could also say embodied meditation. Okay, so that was the is, other one that I, that I was guessing that might be the other um, one. It is a, there's a there's a funny story, um, you know, when we were um, building the website that you were looking at. Um, the person that I was working with at a certain point asked me, he said, you know, there's a lot of embodied meditation. That phrase comes up a lot. What do you mean by that? And it was it was a kind of a, a stop me in my tracks moment. It was like, oh well, I guess I should really be clear on what I mean by that. So when what it's do I mean? To you, you know, it's when it's one of those things when it's yeah, you know what embodied meditation is. Well, not all of us. <laughs> so what is embodied meditation? Well. Every kind of meditation that I'm aware of, so this isn't every kind of meditation, just every kind of meditation that I'm aware of, asks us to turn our attention toward something. So we all have these distracted minds, you know, these minds that are going all over the place. Meditation, the basic dynamic of meditation is like, okay, let's take this wandering attention and guide it here. So it could be toward a sound. It could be toward a phrase. It could be toward a visualization. It could be toward uh, an object like a flower or or a photograph, for for instance. In embodied meditation, what we are doing is we are turning our attention toward our embodied experience. And that's an interesting phrase. I used to say we're turning our attention toward the body. Um, And one of the things I realized is that that label is actually a little bit, it's not inclusive enough that embodied experience is actually what we're turning our attention toward. And embodied experience is an umbrella term that includes our apparently bounded body, that apparently bounded entity that most of us associate with embodiment. It includes the uh, body of the sense perceptions, what the sense perceptions are and what they know. So our relationship with the world is included in this. And it includes the body of the earth, this steady, still presence that is underneath us every moment of our lives from birth to death. So very simply embodied meditation involves turning our attention toward some aspect of this. So our mind wanders and some other form of meditation, we might direct our attention towards, say, a mantra. In embodied meditation, we're turning our attention toward our experience of embodiment. So um, let me make my, let me, I make sure that I understand what this concept is. So you're not just, it's not just taking the attention inward to say the breath, for example, mm-hmm. but to the sensation of the breath, the action of the breath, the, the chemical reaction even of the breath. So the, the sensation, the taste, the, the, the smell, if it was breath, the, the, so it's everything around that rather than just the one point of it. Yes. So yeah. the fullness of our human experience is another way of putting it. Yeah. Okay. That's right. In this immediate moment. Okay. In this moment. So can you use a somatic meditation with... Um, because you say embodied can you use it with emotions because emotions are embodied you know when when i'm working with the chakras obviously you know 
the mind, the, the body holds the emotion in a part. So, so we can, we can focus into an emotion as well. Definitely. Yes. Okay. So, you know, that vivid living energy of emotion is a very real part of our embodied lives. And so, yes, definitely. So if you're angry, for example, I mustn't keep saying angry because I used anger in the last podcast as an example of emotion and everyone must think that I'm just really angry all the time. Let's <laughs> so, <laughs> use, use a different one. Um, I'm not angry. I'm a very happy person. Um, I'm just trying to think. So a sense of, let's say, dissatisfaction with something. So mm-hmm. frustration at work or something like that. Is it that's that's creating an emotion of feeling not enough or not appreciated or I don't know, whatever. There's some sort of kind of thing going on there. Is meditating onto that? How would you how would you direct your meditation onto that without spiraling into a massive blow up of head thoughts and and further emotions and thoughts how do we pinpoint it and stay steady with that emotion Mm. well i think there's a couple of things there so you know how do we work with that and then the acknowledgement that we may get sent off into you know headspace and stories and um, all other manner of things so let's make sure we touch on both of these so you know the simple answer is we would we can direct our attention toward our embodied experience of that emotion so we direct our attention toward wherever that emotion is most vivid most compelling say it's a tension in the pit of the stomach and one tends to the tension in the pit of the stomach and what happens given time what let me correct myself what often happens given time is that emotional experience begins to open up and unwind itself and reveal itself in a more full way so if maybe um, i'm involved in a lot of blaming i hang out with the blaming And there's this sinking into a deeper layer where I discover a sense of um, hurt. And as I hang out with the hurt, there's a deeper layer where uh, I discover a sense of, let's say, trust being violated. And when I hang out with that sense of trust being violated, that, that unfolds and unpacks and opens up. And there's a deeper sense of um, vulnerability. And then I hang out and a deeper layer exposes. And there's just a sense of almost under that vulnerability of, of non, nonverbal, um, tenderness or sorrow. And then under that, if that makes sense. So there's a journey that opens up for us oftentimes. Now, I said I wanted to make sure we talked about these two things, and um, sometimes it is the case by turning our attention toward our emotion experience, emotional experience, our embodied experience of our emotional lives, that kind of journey doesn't open up. Sometimes the intensity of the experience is such that we just don't have the capacity at right now to be present with it. And I think this is so important to acknowledge when we're working with meditation. And when that happens, I think it's really important for us to discern the appropriateness of actually trying to stay with this. And sometimes it becomes important or appropriate to actually do something a little bit different, either do or engage our meditation a little bit differently, or actually step away, take a break from meditation for a while. You know, if we're meditating for 30 minutes, just take a few minutes to look out of the, of the window and let us regulate and then come back to it. Or maybe step off the cushion altogether and go for a walk. Or again, more extreme, find someone to talk to. Further than that, find another modality that can help us with the emotional tumult that's coming up, help us, help us regulate so that we can find our way back into practice. Yeah, uh, that's a really that's a really beautifully clear way of I really fully understand what you're what you're saying uh, with that, because there is always something else underneath, underneath, underneath that mm-hmm. initial, you know, 
whatever it is that you're feeling, there is layers and layers that comes down. Um, so that's that's a really important thing to know, actually, when you are working on, on yourself, you know, in any way, when you're working on your energy, to know that there is always those layers. It's mm-hmm. never just a, a linear situation. It just is very unlikely. Um, that it's that it's uh, that it is just that so how do you um you're you're a you know you're a teacher obviously and you have you run class classes and retreats and so on so what um is your sort of entry level to encourage people to find a meditation practice on their own because whilst I do all these guided meditations which are lovely and visualizations and so on and I know that that's really useful especially um, if you have got a busy mind and it does go flipping off into all directions it's very nice to have a voice there to just keep you on track so what is your and but but when I do this I do it with the hope that people will go off and use the the suggestions and the visualizations or whatever I've done in my meditations and take them into their own practice. So what are your, um, how do you encourage and teach people to take that step away from a teacher and a guided meditation to their own individual practice? That's a great question. And I think the, um, the most important thing we're we're going to come back to you know your comment regarding follow your own nose mm-hmm. i think the thing that i try to stress most is when you're trying to develop your own meditation practice trust the realities of your situation meaning trust the realities of your inspiration and trust the realities of your everyday householder life. And so don't expect your practice to look like it looks for anyone else. Just allow it to be what it is. And so if one, if you know you're inspired to meditate five minutes a day, um, three days a week, or if you have a life situation where that's the amount of space that you have available to you, my saying that it needs to be different is actually not going to do any good in that situation. It's not going to be very helpful. Mm-hmm. And so I really work to in, give people the tools, the perspective to go out and really, you could say, make meditation practice their own trust their inspiration, trust their life situation, and craft a meditation practice that works within the realities of those. And so I have people that I work with who meditate 45 minutes, 50 minutes, 60 minutes a day, every day. You know, that's just a very core part of their life in that regard. And then there's um, other people that I work with who their meditation practice looks quite different. There's one person that I bring up a lot who meditates five days a week, Monday through Friday, from 12 noon to 12.05. So she's at work, the lunch bell goes, everyone takes off, and she spends five minutes meditating at her desk. And then, you know, she goes home, she's got a busy family life, the weekends are taken up with that family life, and then she comes back on Monday and gets back to her five minute practice from, you know, 12 till 12.05. And, you know, I see her from time to time and I ask her, are you still doing the five minute practice? And she says, yes. And I said, is it still having a beneficial effect in your life? And she says, yes, it really does. And um, that to me is the yardstick of whether um, a person's engagement with meditation has been, let's put it in air quotes, successful or not, mm. is they feel like it's having an impact in their life. Mm. Yeah. And as a teacher, when you when you have, so I'm, I'm interested to know whether you ever have somebody come along to your classes or specifically more your retreats, actually, and they've never done any meditation before. And they're just like, hell, I'm just going to go for it and dive right into the deep end. And, and yeah. how does that how does that go? How does tell me some experiences that you've had with with complete new people coming into a meditative practice? 
honestly, it usually goes very, very well. Mm. Um, the thing, I mean, we all have ideas about meditations, preconceptions about meditation. So I'm not suggesting that those aren't present. But in my experience, when I encounter someone who's new to meditation, there's often a real freshness and a real openness and a real curiosity that um, really helps them find their way into the practice in a way that is uh, shockingly beautiful and very often impactful to those who are around them in the same environment. So uh, it usually actually goes very well because of the, that, the freshness of perception, the openness that is uh, evident there. Do you think that there's a there's a sort of an, a current upsurge in people seeking um, meditation as a form of I don't know what am I trying to the form of um, self care therapy coping strategies You know, do you think that there's an upsurge in people currently in the last year, say, seeking meditative meditative practices? I'm not, I'm not sure about the last year, but I think yet at this time, more generally, I think there definitely is an upsurge, especially if you include, um, you know, what is sometimes called the mindfulness movement in, in this. I mean, people are um, giving meditation a far broader range of language and expression in our culture at this time. And by that, I mean, we're using the language of science, we're using the language of sport, we're using the language of business, we're using the language of all these different languages are being um, applied to the meditation practice and the meditation teachings. And what that's doing is it's making, I mean, back to your intro, really, um, is it's it's making meditation more accessible to more people. Yeah. And so more people are having that, oh, that, you know, maybe the traditional Buddhist language isn't going to resonate. Well, it's not going to resonate for everybody, but the language of science, now that's something. Or, oh my gosh, talking about meditation within the context of sport, that's something that resonates for me. Yeah. Yeah. Or self-care or wellness, talking yeah. about in that language. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, mental health is is something that um, I think, especially in the last couple of years, and let's say, let's be generous and say in the last decade, um, that the, the conversation around mental health, certainly in the UK, has become a lot more acceptable and yeah. accepted and common, commonplace. And um, yeah, mindfulness is is an interesting one because it seemed to have a, a very popular moment where it was all like everybody doing mindfulness you know is sort of in the papers you know this is the new cure but to my mind i mean i don't know who i mean obviously you know mindfulness is a meditation of sorts isn't it um but it's but the the, the solid underbed of meditation has managed to stay very strong as a coping mechanism and and i think that there are so many creative people out there working on and discovering developing new different ways of meditation it doesn't have to be the traditional old buddhist way of whatever just sitting there and emptying your mind of all thoughts because that's virtually impossible for the majority of people <laughs> um so you know finding this finding other ways of of finding that calm and, and mindfulness is a, is a beautiful one because it brings you so present into the present moment and stops us that strange thing that our brains do is harking back to the past and and catastrophizing or thinking about the future and um so you have a um, a podcast as well don't you um Neil you have a, a podcast yeah called uh, Bringing Meditation to Life, which um, is wonderful. So tell me a little bit about what you talk about and what you do in your, in your podcast, because I think that that is such a, it's such a simple yet clever title hmm. because, you know, you want to, yeah, it's obvious. <laughs> I can't explain. <laughs> so <tell laughs> me, I'm just treating people like idiots. Um, 
tell me what 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 you talk about how you what your podcast is invo- involves well i mean you highlighted the title so let's let's start with the title bringing meditation to life and um i think i think to really flesh this out we need to go back to a story that we started um at the outset and let so let's go back to february 2020 and i've i've just left this community of 20 years um limped my way out of that and uh as you know you might imagine given the amount of distress that i was experiencing there was a a lot of relief in leaving that situation um but there was also a tremendous amount of loss um, you know, I lost a path, peers, livelihood, trust, confidence, direction. And, um, you know, honestly, I had no idea what to do to th- with this. No idea. You know, I'd never been through anything like this before. And so I walked a lot. I stared out the window a lot. And at least a couple other things happened. Uh, one is that I meditated, and that sounds strange, um, maybe for or obvious for a teacher of meditation to say, you know, I went through this hard time and I I continued to, to meditate, but I really had no idea why I was meditating, not a clue. It was just like back to the early days when I was a competitive swimmer, and I did it because there was something in it that I couldn't quite point to. So here I am in early 2020 going through this experience. I'm I'm so lost and I continue to meditate almost every day. And as I meditate, um, I started to settle into what was happening for me. As you noted a few minutes ago, when we're meditating, we're not emptying our minds. We're not getting rid of things, but we're actually developing our relationship with what our life is. So I started to settle into that lostness. And out of this, there was this experience of insight that often spoke directly to what was happening to me in my life, directly to that lostness, which suggested, you know, kind of a phase or an aspect of meditation that I hadn't recognized before. One in which I allow the revelation, the insight that arises out of that settling to guide me into and through my life. And that's what I started doing because I didn't know what else to do. If what arose was fatigue, I would rest. If what arose was loneliness, I would reach out to somebody. If what arose was stuckness, going back to a couple, our conversation a couple of minutes ago, if what arose was stuckness, I would seek out help, trauma therapy. And I did a lot of trauma therapy um, to work through this experience. So that's one thing that's worth noting here. The second thing that's worth noting here is much of the practice that I was doing at this time was actually in community. It was with others. And, you know, shortly after that problematic relationship ended, um, as you noted, COVID COVID struck. And um, between the two of them, I lost all my livelihood with that. And so I started offering something online. And this has evolved into a community that's now called the Online Gatherings, which is a group of meditators that support and inspire one another as we develop an uh, accessible understanding of meditation and do what I just talked about. Uh, Let the revelation that arises out of the practice guide us into our lives. And bringing meditation to life is what I've started to call this. Actually bringing our meditative experience into the stuff of our everyday life and allowing our meditative experience to percolate into the stuff that are allowing our everyday life to percolate into the stuff of our meditation practice, bridging the sometimes gap between these two things, meditation and everyday life. That's what the podcast is about. And Um, half the episodes feature reflections in which I draw these connections. Reflections, uh, and they're very short reflections, you know, less than 10 minutes, in which I draw a connection between Cormac McCarthy's novel, The Road, and my experience of meditation, in which I draw connections between um, listening to Jerry Garcia sing and my experience of meditation, linking everyday life and meditation practice. And the other half of the episodes are interviews with meditators I know, and allowing them to do the same, allowing them to um, articulate what meditation is in their life, 
and uh, how it impacts their everyday and how their everyday impacts that practice. So beginning to kind of see meditation and, and life as linked activities, which again, has been one of the central revelations of my recovery from that um, rich, but oh, so difficult dysfun and dysfunctional relationship is a recognition that there's this aspect of meditation I hadn't seen before where we actually bring meditation to life. We let the revelation of that rises out of our settling actually come into, guide us into, guide us through our day-to-day. -day. So that would be what the podcast is about. Okay. Well, that sounds well worth a listen. And I think what you've summed up is a, is in, in that, just in that title and in your description summed up the, the beautiful effect of meditation and its benefit in that it is an integrative practice with life. It's not just meditation and like, a you know, on my yoga mat or whatever over here and then the rest of life over here. It's, they, they have to be integrated. They have to be meshed together yeah. and, and joined and, and feed and nurture one another um, in a way. And, you know, so interesting that this experience of profound um, lostness mm. is, you know, one of the things that really helped me come to understand that mm. and come to understand how ordinary and everyday that integrativeness is. Um, because as I said, the revelations, the insights that were arising out of meditation practice that were linking with my everyday life, there were, they weren't about the kind of things one finds in texts, you know, revelations, mm -hmm. insights into egolessness or emptiness. Mm -hmm. It was insights into, I need to rest yeah. insights into, I need help yeah. insights into, I need to talk to someone. Yeah. I mean, just that granular, that it was that granular and that every day was really striking to me. And so, you know, that's now through the podcast and through other things, that's what I'm trying to do in my own life. And, uh, you know, what I'm trying to help and encourage, empower, educate, empower and encourage others to do as well. Yeah, no, I, I, it is, it's very inspiring. And, and, you know, what it's interesting as, um, as in, as a, somebody who does these conversations, and I and I talk to people who are energy healers and meditators and so on, and the one thing that everybody seems to have in common is that they have, if not hit rock bottom, have had some kind of you know have had an experience of trauma where they have really felt you know they, they've really hit a wall in one way or another you know a lot of people for them it's their career or their you know whatever and and the reason why I'm pointing this out is because I want people to know that if they feel that they are like unable to cope what you know they, they've found they think this is it I can't get any worse you know I'm having a traumatic time to know that this is the ultimate growth experience. This is the mm -hmm. ultimate opportunity to build yourself back up. This is the chance that of a lifetime to make the most of it. You know, you and so many of my other into people who I've who I've chatted with have this exact thing. You know, they they have this horrible experience whatever it is a relationship or work or you know parents or anything. Um, but to use those things to make yourself stronger and then to be able to spread that out. There's something magical about that, being able to then spread that out, to share that knowledge. So the people who haven't necessarily had to go to those horrible depths that the teacher has can learn from it. And it's such an empowering and beautiful, compassionate, empathetic thing to do, to share um, mm. this knowledge that you've that you've found and and unfortunately it does seem to be that you kind of have to hit the skids before that wake up that come on those realizations happen i i had never heard anyone make a general statement in that regard and um 
but in my heart, it just feels so true. I mean, I just feel so uh, affected hearing that, knowing that um, there are so many people who have gone through this experience of hitting the skids um, and also enlivened too, knowing that there's so many people who have found ways to use that experience, yeah. um, not only to kind of come into a new sense of their own lives, but as you, you know, actually help others. Yeah. Which I think is, is an integral part of bringing meditation to life is that sense of, of bringing our, that, our revelation, that insight, that inner knowing into the world, certainly mm. and also into the world for the benefit of others sharing. Yeah. And you know, there has to be, there has to be a, a, a benefit in some way. You know, I'm a strong believer of nothing happens for, you know, everything happens for a reason, nothing happens for no reason, whichever way around you want to push it. But I do feel that it is a really, um, you know, you have to kind of, to, to be able to teach, to be able to express yourself, you have to have hit those really crappy times in life to understand what it is to live and you know again it's that bringing life you know that's all we've got is life right that's what mm -hmm. we are here just living life trying to get trying to do the best we possibly can and so bringing that um the experience of your knowledge of an experience of meditation and of coaching and all of that stuff along with your this this kind of crazy life experience has, has birthed something really magical and um and insightful so i'm really grateful to you neil for chatting with me today it's been great well thank you i really appreciate the opportunity um you know it is uh, uh part of bringing meditation to life for me is actually having these conversations and uh you know sharing a little bit of what i've been through a little bit of of what the journey of recovery has looked like and then you know a little bit of you know what i'm offering out of that with the hopes that as you said you know it, it's healing for me and with the hopes that it might also be healing and helpful for others in some way shape or form yeah no, there's, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing that can go wrong when you're offering good, goodness from your heart to others to enhance their lives. You know, it's the most beautiful thing that anybody can do. You know, I mean, yes, we need people to bake the bread and make the cars and, you know, run the airports, but we also need people to bring hope and life and optimism and energy and, and to help us get through life you know yeah. whatever else life is so yeah I yeah yeah i i i think that um we need the fullness of our human expression as you just indicated with all the things that we can do in the world we need the fullness of our human expression to be as full as it possibly can these days because i think a lot of us need a lot of help yeah yeah and support and encouragement and empowerment the whole world needs the help, the encouragement, the positivity. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, just a quick heads up, I will put your, all your, your website is beautiful. Honestly, if anyone wants to get inspiration for a beautiful website, go and have a look at Neil McKinley. Are you just neilmckinley.com? Yeah. And it's uh, McKinley, M-C-K-I-N-L-A-Y. It'll be in the show notes. So um, there's going to be a link straight there. So if you want to go and check it out. And um, yeah, I mean, there's, there seem to be lots of lovely things on there. I was quite seduced by it. I was. It was <laughs> That's good to hear. I mean, that is really, you know, the best way to get a sense. I mean, the notion of bringing meditation to life is a, is a broad umbrella. There's a lot. Uh, offered under that umbrella. I mean, the main offering is the the community I mentioned, that online gathering where we really go deep into this work of, um, I guess, becoming more, developing a relatable understanding of meditation, becoming more familiar with our lives, recognizing our inner wisdom and beginning to trust this enough to let it us let it guide us into our lives online gatherings are the main way but there is so much else that's offered there for people of all backgrounds and all levels of experience so the the website is definitely the start point wonderful well people will be flocking there in their 
dozens, <laughs> hundreds. <laughs> okay, well, thank you, Neil, so much for joining me today. It's been a really interesting, gorgeous conversation. Really lovely to meet you. And um, let's hope we can we can meet again online. If not, I'm coming to Vancouver Island because it looks absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. I really appreciate this opportunity. And uh, yeah, I look forward to crossing paths again at some point down the road. Thank you. So thank you once more for joining me on this conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. I really feel like there was some really juicy nuggets in there to get our teeth stuck into to help us with our meditation practice and as i say um neil's website neilmckinley.com is linked in the show notes and i want to just remind you that my chakra readings offer is still on for the month of august so um please go and book yourself in if you are interested in doing a little reset a little um discovery journey into your own energies um, this month so that we're ready fully pointing in the right direction with a, a mission for September when it comes okay so find my links obviously chakradashway.com and I will look forward to speaking to you very soon okay take care lots of love bye Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.